1: Good afternoon, everyone. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Bill is away for this first hour of the show. I'm Peter Kapsner, filling in for him as he is away and delighted to be joined here for one of the, the conversations we have about every six weeks as part of Bill's show with Canon J. John from all the way across the pond in England. We talk about a number of topics on behalf of the kingdom of God, and we're welcoming Canon J. John in today to talk specifically about Christmas. Welcome to the show, uh, J. John.
2: Peter, it's great to be back on the show on the program with you. And uh, we were saying just before we got on the uh, program uh, that it's not the, uh, the 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 three today; it's you <laughs> and me. So I called you Batman, and I'm Robin. <laughs> I love. It. Do you think we can? put, you, You're always reference us as
1: having sacred synergy in the studio together. You and I and Bill and and Rosie. Can can the three of us pull this off with without Bill
2: here? Well, well, let's see if we can. <laughs>
1: I love it. Well, we're excited to get into the Christmas story. It was fun to hear you even just say the word Christmas off air because I could tell that you are brimming with excitement with that very word.
2: Oh, absolutely. I honestly, Peter, I love the season of Christmas. Uh God couldn't have made himself bigger to impress us. So he made himself smaller to attract us. I don't, when I ponder that, Peter, you know, it's just, I find it it moves my heart. Uh, How do you feel when I say that?
1: Yeah, it's a stunning statement that you make because it really is the heart of the gospel. I I, uh, was just actually talking with some of my students in class here recently about uh, the inexhaustibility of God. And, And if you make that statement that God is inexhaustible, what that means is that whatever the heavenly future looks like, that every day is better than the last. In the words of C.S. Lewis, you can never get to the end of the inexhaustible richness of God, and in a God being that magnificent, to then descend, then to give it up, to then be, to to take on flesh,
2: to attract us—it's it's almost hard to take in, isn't it? Absolutely, totally, and you know, we, many of our listeners, Peter, may not be having the perfect Christmas, but we need to remember that the first Christmas wasn't perfect. Mm. It was miraculous, but it was messy. And the truth that Jesus came to earth is the proof that God cares. And the story of Christmas is the story of God's relentless love for us. Jesus did not come to make God's love possible, but he came to make God's love visible. Christmas is the time and the place where God pulls back the curtain so that we can see his face. Christmas is the answer to our questions. Where is God? Who is God? And as we said, and just to repeat it, God couldn't have made himself bigger to impress us. So he made himself smaller to attract us. Christmas means God with us. The Christmas message is that there is hope. And uh, I want to encourage the listeners uh, with the truth of some of those statements. What do you think, Peter? Well,
1: yeah, I just I do think about the time um, that the people of Israel were living in those times where it had been some 400 years that the voice of God had last spoken. And, uh, and so they had been living in silence for, for so long, and for suddenly the star to appear in the east uh, would have just been such an incredible picture of hope. Wait, wait, he is going to move. He is going to be among us. And I, I think about those long seasons, I'm sure you've had them as well, where it doesn't seem like God is ever going to move again, where there, there isn't any hope in that. And, and Christmas reminds us that regardless of the length of that season, uh, God is still for us. He will move. His time might be different than ours, right? But he still will move
2: absolutely and without jesus peter we have a hopeless end but with jesus we have an endless hope i think that's such a
1: <clears throat> profound, just way to say that, right? Because we're not promised that we're going to have a happy life in this world, but we are promised that uh, we'll have a shepherd that'll walk us through this world. And and when you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he he was born into a situation as a man of sorrows, and but he was able to walk out those sorrows in a different kind of way. And and somewhere in that joy, he brought hope into the world. This is why we sing the Christmas carols. They <laughs> there there is hope that has come. Uh, it's arrived on the scene, and 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 we have seen it now. We've seen
2: in the face of the Father, as you would say. Absolutely. And one of the the things I think about at this time is that the only true historical reason for celebrating Christmas is as the birthday of Jesus Christ. But no one celebrates the birthday of a dead person. Mm. We only celebrate the birthday of someone who is alive. And it is because... Christians know and believe that Jesus Christ is alive that there can be a true celebration of his birthday and just that thought of of knowing that you know he's alive hence we're celebrating his birth and I think sometimes within the whole Christmas season we kind of almost get caught up in the wrappings um, and forget the truth that we're talking about an alive Jesus.
1: Well, that that part of it, we we've been celebrating, Jay John, in our house this time of the Advent season. Is that part of what I love about Advent? is that we are looking backwards and celebrating that that waiting period where then that star did appear, as we said, and he's arrived on the scene. But in so many ways, it's also pointing to our current situation uh, of the advent in which we live is that because Jesus is alive, he has also promised to return and gather up his bride. So Christmas is both a, a looking backwards in so many different ways, but it's also, it crashes into our own time and space to say, we are still the people of the waiting. We are waiting for the return of our living King. And in, in, in that waiting time, he still is dwelling among us. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. One of the things I like, Peter, during this Christmas season are uh, children's school nativity plays. And there was one um, nativity play, uh, nativity a play that was being conducted by a school with very young children. And there was one boy who was desperate to play the part of Joseph. (laughs) And the day arrived when the teacher announced all the starring roles, but he didn't get the part of Joseph. And he was very, very upset. But he did get the part of the innkeeper. But this little boy didn't want to be the innkeeper. He wanted to be Joseph. But the day arrived when the Uh, The school presented its annual Christmas production to the entire school, all the family, all the friends. Then you get to that point where Mary and Joseph arrive at the innkeeper's door and they knock on the door. The door opens and the innkeeper comes out. Joseph says, can my wife Mary and I, can we come in for the evening? And the innkeeper said, she can come in, but you can't. I wanted to be Joseph. I love that story. (laughs) Why do I love that story? Well, there are many, many different versions of Christmas. And because there are many different versions of Christmas, it's always good to go back to the original script. And we have an opportunity in these sacred days to go back and read the original script. What did the original script actually say about that first Christmas?
1: Is there something within that original script that when you do take the time to go back and, and uh, go even beyond the betrayals that we understandably want to watch and experience when you go back to that original script, is there anything Jay John that specifically takes your breath away about some of those events it was just so miraculous what happened?
2: Oh, totally. And uh, yeah, I, I love, I mean, all the different angles and perspectives, but uh, the story of the wise men does, does appeal to me a lot. Have you ever wondered, Peter, what would have happened if there were wise women?
1: I, I did just now, as a matter of fact, <laughs> that you said it. <laughs> so I just the,
0: popped on my mic.
1: I'm yeah, really Rosie is like, very now, intrigued at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us well, more.
2: Yes. Well, if they were wise women, they would have asked for directions and arrived there on time. <laughs> I was going to say they would have gotten there three years earlier. That's, <laughs> That's super fair. When, when the wise women arrived, they would have brought a casserole. <laughs> Thirdly, they would have cleaned out the stable. Fourthly, they would have helped with the delivery. And fifthly, they would have brought far more practical presents. <laughs> well, you, you and in you... fact, In fact, Peter, there were three wise women and they were called Mary, hmm. Elizabeth, and Anna.
1: Yeah, there's. I think just even what you said, Jay and these are a couple of things I want to get into both in this segment, but also we have to take a short break in just a minute. But um, there was some significance and some symbolism in those gifts that the wise men did bring insofar as yes. I understand it, and, and the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, that there was some rich symbolism in that. Can you give us a little window into that part of it?
2: Oh, absolutely. I can. They gave gold, frankincense and myrrh. Gold in the Bible is a symbol of kingship. By giving gold and by bowing down, they were acknowledging the kingship of Jesus and saying that they wanted to come under his reign and rule. Frankincense in the Bible is a symbol of prayer. It's a symbol of communication. So they'd understood that the king had come to communicate with people. And by giving frankincense, they're saying, we want to communicate with you. Myrrh in the Bible is a symbol of burial. So they had understood that the king had come to communicate with people, but ultimately to come and do something for us. And we can unpack all those three, uh, Peter, a lot more. But that is it in
1: a nutshell i love it Rich. if you're tuning in just now in afternoons with bill arnold bill is away for this first hour i'm peter kapsner filling in for this hour and we're talking with just one of our most delightful guests in canon j john about some of the story of christmas that we are celebrating the birth of the newborn king we'll step away for just a moment when we come back we'll talk a little bit more about those three gifts and also engage in the conversation about the three wise women Welcome back to the show. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Bill Arnold in this first hour of the show. And we are joined by Canon J. John to talk about some of the beautiful dimensions of the Christmas story in the season that we're celebrating the birth of our newborn King, Jesus. And Canon J. John, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the significance of those three very well-known gifts that were brought by the wise men to the baby Jesus in gold, frankincense and myrrh. You gave us a little sense of the symbolism of each one of them. But why, why don't you take us into each one of those more deeply?
2: I think the importance of understanding gold frankincense, and myrrh Peter is to really understand the relevance of why Jesus had to come if i If I asked our viewers now, do they agree with the following statement that there are problems in the world today, Peter, would you agree with that Oh, for sure
1: right yes for sure
2: there are problems globally, there are problems socially there are there are problems personally now many governments of the world, many charities, many social agencies are trying to alleviate the symptoms. But if you try and alleviate the symptoms, you're always going to have the symptoms unless you deal with the root cause. So the question is, what is the root cause of everything that's wrong in the world today? A mother said to her husband, darling, can you look after Annie for me? So the father said, yes, of course. He thought, what could he do to occupy his young daughter. He's flicking through a magazine and he sees a map of the world. He says to his daughter, watch what I'm going to do. He cut the map of the world into small squares and he said to his daughter, I want you to put the squares back together again, like a puzzle to make the map of the world. So he thought, well, that'll take her a bit of time. But a couple of minutes later, the daughter says, daddy, I've done it. And he thought, well, she couldn't really have done it, but let me have a look. He had a look. All the squares were put in exactly the right place. He said, well, how did you know where to put all the squares? Ah, she said, when you were cutting the map out, I looked on the other side and I saw a picture of a man and a woman. And I thought if I could put the man and the woman back together again, I could put the world back together again. You See, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart Mm. and unless we really understand that uh peter we won't understand and appreciate what christmas is about what easter's about and god's indescribable gift the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart I mean, just imagine, Peter, we all passed out of this life now. This is just an analogy. And we woke up in a theatre, sitting there on our own in front of a huge screen. All of a sudden, the doors open, an angel flies in, comes up to us and says, welcome to the theatre of judgment. Watch (laughs) the screen. And there on the screen, we see our life, everything we ever did here on earth, everything we ever said and everything we ever thought. At the end of the film as we're recovering the angel comes back and says there's going to be a second showing all the people who were featured on the film of your life are all waiting outside and we're just going to let them in to come and view your life a second time I don't know how you Peter <laughs> you're Rosie, making me feel or, quite uncomfortable <laughs> Well I I feel uncomfortable Peter just telling right. the story but I don't know how our viewers would feel if that happened But listen, that is what happens, Mm. but it happens in a second. Now, I don't need convincing that I've thought, said and done things that I shouldn't have had done. But what most people don't realise is that it works a bit like an overdraft in a bank account. And if I have an overdraft and you have an overdraft, you can't help me and I can't help you. The only one who can help us is someone in credit. Mm. Jesus was the only one in credit. And that's why Jesus came into the world. If our greatest need was information, then God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was money, then God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was technology, then God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need was pleasure, then God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And that's why God sent us a saviour
1: yeah I think often uh, I was speaking with a, a colleague of mine not too long ago J. John just about the need for us as believers to engage with the world and to be people of help and and people who compassionately come around other people and Jesus did all of those things he 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 came to the least and the lost and the broken and the needy but uh, this person made the point of saying that unless we also are um, fully wide-eyed and and open to the fact that the heart of the problem is sin, all of the best intentions and all of the good and all of the help and all of the compassion that is representative of the kingdom actually doesn't have the kind of wings in life it needs to have because Jesus, at the end
2: of the day, as you said, came to deal with the heart of the problem. Absolutely. And, you know, I I went, I've got three sons, but when my firstborn, Michael, was about four years of age, um, I went with him to buy his mom a Mother's Day present, and we went into this store. And as we walked into the store, there were, we read this huge big sign and it said, do not touch. All breakages must be purchased. I mean, I don't know, Peter, why I didn't just walk away because I had a four year old son. <laughs> and I knew what I knew what he was like and I know what I'm like. You know, because it said do not touch, there's this (laughs) pull to actually want to touch. So we're both in there and we're both touching. But obviously he's only four. And I saw it out of the corner of my eye as he knocked this thing over and it fell to the floor and smashed on the floor. The manager of the store stood there, don't know how, within a second and he pointed to the sign. He didn't say anything. He just pointed to the sign that read, Do not touch. All breakages must be purchased. And I said, I didn't do it. He did it. He (laughs) broke it. (laughs) I said, and I thought, why don't I just walk out of the store and leave four-year-old Michael to pay for the damages? But there was no way four-year-old Michael could pay for the damages. And we are all on god's naughty list and there is absolutely no way that we can pay for the damages only our heavenly father can pay for them that's why he sent jesus that's why the wise men gave myrrh they knew that he had come to die to purchase for us forgiveness
1: yeah, they obviously saw something maybe ahead of time that, that so many people weren't able to see, that the only way that this was going to end was in his death and, in order to bring new life. It, was there anything in their background insofar as you understand it, J. John? I've even heard people talk about the idea that they would have come uh, from sort of the line of the, uh, of Daniel when he was in Babylon, and maybe they knew some of the stories of this newborn king that was coming. Is there anything to indicate where they received the wisdom that was within the symbolism of these gifts?
2: I think they were seekers. So I think even with their, you know, obviously intelligence and earthly wisdom they had, they were seeking. They were seeking for knowledge. They were seeking for truth. And I think it was God that revealed it to them. Hence, you know, they were discerning. Hence, they're called wise men. Mm. And I have to confess, and I'm sure you do, Peter, that those two words don't always go together. Do they, Rosie? <laughs> I'm
0: in trouble here. I'm just going to be quiet. That that seemed
2: like kind of a softball, Rosie, <laughs> for, every, for I
0: you know, over I'm, there. I'm sitting here going, hmm, do I want to take that? Or no, I think I'm going to be kind. It's Christmas.
1: Yeah, it is Christmas. But Jay John, I would appreciate just even saying a bit more about that, because growing in wisdom is often not the same as growing in economic, financial, resume-oriented kinds of success. It, it actually is often the exact opposite of that.
2: Oh, it, it is. Absolutely. You know, I, what's just come to mind, Peter, is uh, when Jesus was um, a, a young boy and his um, mother and his stepfather um, had lost him. Uh, And and that's interesting, isn't it? The two most unlikely Mm. people in the Bible lost Jesus. And I think sometimes for us as as believers, we can lose Jesus in the sense that we think he's with us and maybe he's not always with us. But what I liked about it was that when he was found, um, he went back with them and he grew in favour with God and in favour with people. So I think it's this... This growing spiritually, as well as growing socially, mm. as well as growing, you know, emotionally and growing psychologically. Yeah, and J- we—I think sometimes we grow emotionally, psychologically, physically, but we're not growing spiritually.
1: Yeah, Jay John, so well said. And he had some women around him that helped him do those very same things. You mentioned them in the past, and Anna and Elizabeth and Mary. When we come back from a short break, we will talk about the women in Jesus's young life as well. Let's get it
2: started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold.
1: Welcome back to the show. I'm Peter Capster, filling in for Bill Ar- Arnold for hour one of the show here on the 10th of December. We are just 15 days away from the celebration of Christmas and celebrating the incredible cosmic event of the great God who became to dwell among us. And we're having that Christmas conversation today with one of our favorites, Canon J. John talking about some of the different parts of the story of Christmas. And, Jay John, we were talking a little bit about the women involved in the Christmas story, and specifically, uh, Mary, we want to start with here. I, I sometimes forget, it, it certainly is something that I'm aware of, but I forget about how young she was. And and typically speaking, the word of the Lord was not coming to young
2: girls in
1: this context. And, boy, it just really begins to upend everything.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, she she was definitely a teenager, and um, even with all the supernatural encounters, you know, with an angel, and the way that that God spoke to her, I mean, you have to process all that, don't you? (laughs) It's (laughs) not, it's, you know, it really shapes your entire world, your thinking, and everything, and, uh, you know, I, I feel sad that, that We have overreacted to uh, Roman Catholics, and we hardly mention her. You Mm. rarely hear sermons about her. But she was the first Christian. She literally received Jesus. And, you know, one of my favourite songs, Peter, is Mary, Did You Know? I love that song and there are many different versions of that and Mary did you know did you know look let's stop asking Mary she did know she did know (laughs) she (laughs) did know (laughs) she heard what God wanted to do and she said yes and that moves me
1: there is that moment, isn't there, where she says, it's interesting when she first hears the news from the angel, she does say, how can these things be? But it doesn't seem like it's with a spirit of doubt or folded arms or this this just can't possibly happen. I think she's um, so taken aback by the idea that God is going to do what the angel declared that she just simply was saying how, right. And, and once the angel explained further, she has this magnificent statement that I think is the posture that we as followers of Jesus are meant to have, which is be it done unto me, as you have said, I think it's such an incredible place of humility
2: that she exhibited for all of us. Absolutely. And it was this total submission and surrender to Something so remarkable and so profound that would affect her life, her future uh, and absolutely everything. And it is that submission and surrender, uh, Peter, that we really need to take hold of. And I I think sometimes today there's a very casual commitment, I think, to Jesus
1: Mm.
2: without much surrender and submission you know when we when we pray the lord's prayer for example as i do i pray the lord's prayer every day you know we're asking we're saying aren't we may i come under your sovereign reign and rule and do your will whatever the cost is and and she said yes and and i, I we need to keep saying yes I think we need to keep reinforcing that on a daily basis. You know, in the morning, Lord, this is a new day you've created. And I want to say yes to you today.
1: Yeah, well, and and at the cost, as you said, right? I mean, it, it doesn't seem like there's potentially a lot of cost that at least we can tell when we say yes to following Jesus when we live in in some of these countries that do have a lot of means and a lot of possibilities. But I I think I sometimes miss the part of the story where in Mary saying yes to this and becoming pregnant with the Lord uh, in that culture to be pregnant outside of the married context was certainly... uh, Going to be very problematic for her and possibly even subject her to capital punishment. So, you think about saying yes to that. You think about saying, be it done unto me as you have said, with those threats looming over you as a teenage girl. It's, it's really a stunning thing that she did.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I really do have huge uh, respect uh, for Mary. Um, I have a huge admiration and uh, i think we should talk more about her and talk more about what she did and talk and and actually you know as i said earlier peter that she was the first christian she literally received christ mm. and all of us today we too can receive christ by his holy spirit
1: mm. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the prophetess Anna, because here's somebody who was sort of the human advent, right? I mean, she was somebody who was waiting faithfully for all of those years for the promised Messiah to come. What do you see in her story?
2: Uh, well, what I admire about Anna, Peter, is the fact you, you highlighted it. You know, She waited, so there was patience there. Obviously, she must have known that she needed to wait, but she waited years. And she was faithful. And and I think that's an encouragement to all of us. Um, As we get older, uh, are we remaining faithful? Are we remaining faithful to what God has spoken? And I think God has spoken to us if we look back in our lives at various times. And I think, you know, don't forget that. Don't forget God's promises. Don't forget what he did say and expect it and believe it. And when I read of her part of the whole Christmas story, it encourages me, particularly as I get older, that Lord, I too want to remain faithful in my older years until you call me and promote me to heaven. And I, I want to encourage our older listeners That look, it doesn't matter how old you are, uh, God has a purpose for you in his work on earth while we're still here.
1: Well, and that takes us into the story of Elizabeth, too. This is, this is evidence that God never actually puts us out to pasture in this life. You, you walk it out into the last day. Uh, you, you squeeze it out into the last drop. And so here's a, a woman who um, has not had children and, uh, and whose womb is opened in these moments and, uh, and, and bringing forth John the Baptist as the forerunner of, of this Messiah. And it's, it's, again, the point that you're making, I think, J. John, is that God has never finished with us until that last step is walked
2: oh absolutely and i think that's what i love about how i you know i've called them the three wise women mary elizabeth and anna that's what i love about all three of them uh, their their faithfulness their, their diligence their their surrender their submission with all three in in different ways um and w- i mean what a story to carry john the baptist and you know what what grief that must have brought to her in later life when she discovered what had happened to him it's you know so there's a lot of pain in the story but it's all part of god's redemption for us and i think that's the thing isn't it we have to keep on remembering this is all part of god's redemption for us uh, I, I like the story of the famous artist who went back to the very small rural community where he was born and he was brought up and he's just walking around some of the village stores and there's an antique shop and he looks in the window he cannot believe what he sees in the window is one of his masterpieces and it was a painting that he painted years before he was famous the frame was broken The picture was scratched and dirty, but it was his. But he couldn't go into the antique store and say to the manager, that's my painting. Give it back to me. If he wanted it back, he had to buy it back before he could clean it, restore it and reframe it. That's what God did in Jesus Christ by coming to this earth and using people like Mary and Elizabeth and Anna in this story so that he can come and be born so that he can then go and die on the cross by dying on the cross he was purchasing for us forgiveness so that we could be cleaned so that we could be restored so that we can be reframed Mm. so it was all part of this story
1: yeah, there isn't anything about the sorrows in life that were unfamiliar, and the joys of life too. Rosie, I just one of my favorite parts of the story. I wish I could have been in the room. Is when John the Baptist sort of leaps for joy, as it were, mm-hmm. within the womb of Elizabeth. When uh, womb to womb, he knows that the, that the Messiah is being born.
0: And as a woman, oh. I, as a woman who's born children, you know, uh, by God's grace, I. I can so relate to that. I remember that first time feeling that life jump and uh feeling uh the the babes uh Bennett and Alec jump when Gary would come into the room if he you know had been at work or I hadn't talked to him for a while, and so that's so real that's just so tender Absolutely. and it's you know life alive inside you responding to what is in the environment outside of what it can't see it's so beautiful. And then also, uh, J. John, as you were talking, I teared up because I also can appreciate being a mother of sons, the hardship that Mary and Elizabeth went through as their sons bore the responsibility there of the world in their own life. And watching Absolutely. that happen and sacrificing that very love that grew inside you for for God, for the glory of the coming Christ, right? right. And it's just, it's a beautiful... It's beautiful love and it's beautiful sacrifice all wrapped up in one.
2: Mm. Beautiful, Rosie. Totally agree. Do you know, I love these words that Christina Rossetti um, put together. She said, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give him my heart. Mm. And that's what Mary did. That's what Elizabeth did. That's what Anna did. And that's what he's asking us to do.
1: Hmm. Love, well, we were talking with Canon J. John about the Christmas story, getting into some of the dimensions of that. We'll take a short break and we'll come back. Uh, J. John has said that he would love to share with us his own conversion story of saying yes to following this beautiful baby, Jesus, and the first Christmas that resulted. That's a pretty happy music, Rosie. Where'd you pull that one out of the old uh, music bank? I like that one.
0: Bill has so many fun songs. He
1: does. He has an extensive, really good bank of music.
0: I know, and I just play in here. Like, I had no idea at all this Christmas music, and I am having so much fun. No,
1: it's so much it's so much fun to be with you, Rosie, with Jay John, with all of you. As part of the Faith Radio family, I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Bill Arnold in Hour One. He'll be back in Hour Two, talking with author Ace Collins about Christmas traditions. And Ken and Jay John, is there any specific Christmas tradition that you say, this has to happen, because then it's Christmas?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, well, our family, we're very, very Christmassy (laughs) and we put we put the tree up and all the decorations up early and uh, we love Christmas movies and uh, It's a Wonderful Life is an annual tradition.
1: I love that. But this wasn't always part of your life. You you didn't always celebrate Christian as a as a Jesus following person. So tell us about the first time that you decided to say yes to following Jesus and what that subsequent Christmas was
2: like. Thank you, uh, Peter. Yes, I, I was born and brought up within a Greek family. Now, when you're brought up in a Greek family, uh, you're kind of Greek Orthodox, uh, which is Christian. But there's kind of religion and there's culture and we were more cultural Greeks so we you know we didn't go to church we didn't really practice any kind of faith when I was a student in London in 1974 I called myself an agnostic I didn't believe in God I wasn't interested even if there was a God but really my understanding of Christianity was a misunderstanding, but I met a Christian at college, and I was impressed with who he was, and I it, he kind of was. I was endeared towards him because of his beliefs and also because of his behavior. And he bought me a Bible. I didn't have a Bible. I never owned one. I never read one. He gave me a Bible and he encouraged me if I wanted to to meet him once a week. And he would explain it to me. And so we did that for several months. And then at Christmas time in 1974, um, we exchanged Christmas cards and and I gave him a Christmas card. And he said to me, he he gave it back to me. He said, why? Did you give me a Christmas card with the words Jesus Christ in it and Christmas in it when you don't believe in Him? And that really upset me. I found that quite shocking. But do you know something? It was the best thing because it really made me evaluate and reevaluate. I, you know, I always sent Christmas cards, but I didn't actually believe in Jesus. So that didn't really make sense, did it? Mm. And but that shook me. And that led me to receiving Christ's gift of himself. And that's the thing, Peter. Everything during our Christmas season, the tree, the lights, the, everything that goes with it, it. It's great. I'm not anti it at all, but it is all wrapping paper. And the gift of Christmas is Christ. And so he showed me where it says in Revelation chapter three, verse 20, Jesus stands at the door of a house knocking. And if you hear the knock, open the door and let him in. And he said to me, have you heard Jesus knocking? And I said, well, I think I've heard him knocking. He said, well, have you opened the door? And I said, well, I don't know where this door is. Where is this door? He said, look, don't worry about where the door is. Just ask Jesus to break the door down. And I knelt beside my bed. I think it was the first time I can ever remember getting into a posture of prayer. And I said, Jesus, if you're knocking on my door, can you break this door down? I really want to know you. And my heart was warmed and my mind was illuminated. I I mean, I didn't have the vocabulary to articulate what had happened, but I knew something had changed, something had shifted. And that was the beginning mm. of my uh, following of Jesus Christ.
1: And what was that first Christmas like then after those decisions were made?
2: Oh, well, well, everything comes alive. It's almost like, Peter, you see things in black and white, mm. And now, goodness, I, I'm seeing things in color. You know, things were different. Do you know, the day after I received Jesus, again, I, I, I don't understand it fully, but I know I've had an encounter with Jesus. Um, I was walking, and as I was um, walking, I, I saw a homeless man. And I said to the homeless man, I said, Would you like breakfast? He said, Yeah, and I love some breakfast. So I said, well, I'll take you for breakfast. And I said, where do you normally hang out? He said, well, I I hang out where you just met me. And I thought, this is incredible, because that's the route I would take to go to college. And I'd walk past this man, Monday to Friday, for for months, and I never saw him. So my first day as a a follower of Jesus, I'm seeing homeless people. It's almost like my whole world changed. And, you know, it's the first time I'd ever interacted with a homeless man. It's the first time I took a homeless man for breakfast. And, and I said, look, I can't do this every week, but would you like breakfast once a week? So we started the homeless club. You know, my whole thinking changed, my whole value system changed, my whole lifestyle changed. And, and my mother said to me, you're brainwashed. And I said, mother, my brain has been washed. If you only knew what was in my brain, you'd be pleased it did get washed. <laughs> you
1: know?
2: And it really, really did. You know, Peter, there's a, um, a carol, "Oh Little Town of Bethlehem. And it was written by Phillips Brooks, uh, who was a clergyman uh, in America. And he was pretty worn out by um, burying so many people um, during one of the conflicts. Set- Uh, over your side of the pond and he found himself in Europe uh, on sabbatical for a season to recover and get restored and he was sitting on a hillside one Christmas Eve overlooking Bethlehem and as he was reflecting on that first Christmas he got out his journal and he just jotted down what what happened on that first Christmas and that's how he wrote O Little Town of Bethlehem And in the final verse of that beautiful carol, uh, he wrote these words O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today.
1: Mm.
2: We hear the Christmas angels. The great glad tidings tell, O oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Peter, I don't know a better prayer than that prayer to pray. At
1: Christmas time. Mm, it gives me goosebumps to just hear the the words in the prayer there, J. John. And I know we're going to do a Christmas prayer. You want to offer that in just a moment. Absolutely. I'm wondering if you can uh, just give us a sense. We, you talked a little bit about the trappings of Christmas. Is, is there a daily rhythm that a person can practice in these next couple of weeks that just gets us out of those trappings and, and into what it is you're describing and as the importance that's really happening today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I well, I I think. We're so busy, aren't we, Peter? We are. And life can be very manic, not just at Christmas time, but it can be manic throughout the year and especially so at Christmas time. And I think many of us, particularly during this season, you know, we've got so many irons in the fire. uh, We've actually put the fire out. And maybe what we need to do is pause, take out some of those irons, stoke up the fire. And just take that little bit of time to pause, to reflect, to reread the original script Mm. of Christmas and and pray that our hearts, uh, to quote John Wesley, uh, would be strangely warmed and Mm. our minds illuminated with his light uh, and his life.
1: And so helpful, J. John, as we wrap up our show today, would you offer a Christmas prayer for everybody that is uh, G- trying to follow Jesus the best we can in this season away from these trappings? Just pray over us if you would.
2: Absolutely. And can I encourage all listeners, you know, to look at that final verse of that beautiful carol, A Little Town of Bethlehem, and, and, and you yourself to pray, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend on me, I pray, cast out my sin, And enter in, be born in me today. Oh, come to me, abide with me, my Lord Emmanuel. And I'd like to pray for all listeners now. May the may God grant you the light of Christmas, which is faith, the warmth of Christmas, which is love, the radiance of Christmas which is purity, the righteousness of Christmas, which is justice, the belief in Christmas, which is truth, the all of Christmas, which is Christ. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, may God grant you all these things, not just at Christmas, but throughout the new year and all the years to come. Amen.
1: Amen. Jay John, you are such a light shining delight. I appreciate you just bringing in so much about this Christmas story, the way you hold yourself, you carry yourself and and just reminding us again of, of the Emmanuel, the God with us that we celebrate in this time. We wish you happy Christmas on your side of the pond. Merry Christmas on our side of the pond and so glad to be on this journey together.
2: Oh, Peter, thank you very much to you and to Rosie. And may I say the same to you both and to all of our listeners.
1: Merry Christmas. Love it. That'll wrap up our time with Ken and J. John. Up next, Bill will be back in the saddle and we'll be talking with author Ace Collins about Christmas traditions. You won't want to miss it. And uh, until next time, happy Christmas, everyone.